As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tribune Audio Network. Try not to pee on your neighbor's don't property. Don't pee on your neighbor's property. Don't get guns involved. I feel like we're learning don't some yell valuable at a guy lice. With a gun. Don't yell at a guy with a gun. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. We are investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, and taking you behind the scenes. This is the stuff we couldn't or didn't have time to tell you on TV. On today's episode, secret romance, psychic visions, and a man with a gun. One story that was one wild ride. And a house so smelly, the police had to get involved. It's a neighborhood dispute that got pretty foul. Hello, I'm Jenna Sachs. I'm here with Brian Polson. Hi, everybody. And Amanda St. Hilaire. Hello. And we encounter some pretty interesting and even dangerous characters in our investigations. But one of the wildest stories involves an unprofessional mental health counselor, his secret romance, and his visions of a missing man. So Brian first got this tip, and it's actually one of the first stories I heard about Brian when I started working at Fox 6. And this really did have all the makings of a wild story. But things got even more intense when he paid the former therapist a visit and the man came out with a gun is that a gun in your hand gary i have video of it would you like me to call the property get out would you like me to call the police about that gun so this one came to me as an anonymous tip originally uh from someone with connections to the state agency that licenses professional therapists they told me I should just request the case file for a guy named Gary Jones. He's a therapist who was caught having romantic relationships with three different patients. Of course, I was intrigued, but it was what happened with one particular patient that made this truly bizarre and troubling. He'd had a romantic fling with a female patient whose husband had just gone missing and to this day has never been found. But that's not all. The therapist then claimed to have had visions of the woman's missing husband dead in a garbage can. So as you can imagine, this was like a page turner just reading all of the records that came in and uh, I knew it was going to be a story. I didn't quite know where this was going to lead. Well, and so when you have a situation like that and you don't know where it's going to lead and you have a lot of information because you had a lot of documents for this, how did you decide where to go from there, which strings to start pulling on? Well, it was clear in reading this, there were 200 and something pages of records. And like I say, it was almost kind of like this mystery novel. As you're reading it, there's a guy having visions of a of a, a man who's missing, whose wife he's having an affair with that he shouldn't be having an affair. And you think, wow, where's this going to go? But the biggest thing I needed to do is I needed to talk to the guy. So, you know, Gary Jones, he was a therapist. And I thought, what are these visions all about? Why were you having them? And and why were you, you know, trying to sleep or maybe sleeping with your patient? So the first thing was to try to reach out to Gary Jones. And that's kind of where things 
I was going to ask, is he the first person you contacted for this story? Did you contact other people first? No, I think the first person I contacted actually was the police department in the small community where this took place. And and the, the department there, they knew about this because he had actually, well, Gary Jones went to them to tell them about his visions, but only because his patient kind of ratted him out. He was having this romantic fling with her and she got uncomfortable after a little while and when he wouldn't back off, she went to the cops and said, hey, this guy says he's seen my dead husband. You got to go talk to him. So they come talk to Gary Jones and, and he tells them the story. And of course, police thought, well, that's a little weird. And maybe he did something. Maybe he didn't. So they in- interviewed him. So I called police first and they, they wouldn't tell me much initially. They did end up talking and doing an interview for the story. After I got from police that, yeah, we kind of thought it was weird too, I thought, okay, now's the time to reach out to Gary Jones, and he was my next stop. And uh, and early on, I thought he might actually do an interview with us. That was the crazy thing. When we were talking on the phone the first time, you know, you reach out to a guy and say, hey, I want to do a story about how you lost your license and, and all the inappropriate things yeah, you did. How does that well. go? It doesn't go well usually at first. And he said, I want nothing to do with this. I don't want my name on the air or my face or anything. And, and I explained to him, as we often do, that, well, your name is going to be on TV and your face is going to be on TV and you know you lost your license because of misconduct. And he said, well, you don't understand, Brian. Those visions are because of a, sp- a particular technique that I do called brain spotting. And, and this is the part that yeah. confused me. Well, it, it gets it gets even more bizarre. But, but as he's telling, I, I thought, whatever it is, if you think the story in these records is misleading, this is your chance. Tell everyone what really happened. And he said initially, okay, all right, I'll do the interview. And he gave me his address. We were coming out to meet him the following Monday, which that was key because the moment he gave me his address... We knew where he lived. Until then, I had no idea. We had actually tried to figure out where this guy was in case he wouldn't talk to us. Now, before you get into how you talked to him in the first place, what is brain spotting? Well, okay, so... The, Something <laughs> involving an orb? Well, that's... So the, So there actually is a technique that I don't know how credible or, or, or uh, you know, what the research is on this, but it is something that therapists, sort of a new uh, uh, technique that some therapists are doing. And I think it has some relationship to something called EMDR, but it has to do with eye movement and location and Mm. having a patient who's suffered some sort of past trauma focus on they would you know with their eyes in a particular direction and then talk through the trauma and i'm i'm sure there are therapists if they listen to this one but that's all wrong but it's something like that the real technique what he described was something entirely different he described that he had his patient touch an orb in his office and transfer energy to the orb, and then he touched the orb and felt an electrical charge. But he's not marketing himself as a psychic. He's he's marketing no, himself as a therapist, right? And, and and I so as you read this, you know, I'm reading this in the report. And I'm thinking this is nuts. This is absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, and and so he he then says when he touched the orb, he received this electrical charge that gave him some of her thoughts and memories, and that he was then at home at a later time and had these visions, two distinct visions of his client's missing husband. One of them, he said, was a, a, uh, it was like a swamp creature or something in a swamp, which he took to mean that her husband was dead in like a field somewhere. Yeah, that's not a really a natural leap. 
<laughs> well, it, no, but but at least it was sort of generic enough that you go, okay, that's kind of bizarre. And we all have bizarre dreams or visions, right? Like, you know, that could, maybe sure. not visions. But, you know, you go, dreams don't make sense sometimes. The second one is the one that got really creepy because he, he said his vision was of her missing husband dead in a garbage can with his body crumpled up, his, like, I think it was like his arms twisted, his eyes were open. It were very specific things. Dead in a garbage can and the body twisted up and the eyes open. That's the one where you go, whoa, <laughs> where's yeah. that coming from? So I really want to hear about what happened when you went to go see Gary because he had canceled the interview, right? He didn't. Well, so that's, yeah, so, so Monday comes around and this is not uncommon as you guys have you know, all done these stories where people are reluctant to talk and then they sort of reluctantly agree. But as the time gets closer, the farther out you schedule an interview, the more likely someone's going to cancel mm-hmm. if it's something they're uncomfortable about. And when the day got there, he said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing this interview. You know, I'm canceling on you. And I tried to talk him into it, and I said, look, you know, we really want answers to what's going on here. This is bizarre. And he said no. So we drove. He'd now given me his address. So we drove to Jefferson County. This was out on, uh, like, a farm in Jefferson County. He lived in a small farmhouse. I don't know if – I think he was renting. Um, And we knew that this was not going to be a pleasant encounter, that he wasn't going to be happy we were there. Um, But we had questions we wanted to ask. So uh, this is one of the – Best things we did. We have a producer. We're going to call him Producer Pete because he does a lot of undercover work. And, producer and we Pete like alliteration. Yeah. Producer Pete came along and he parked. There was This was out in a rural area, so there wasn't uh, – it wasn't very easy to figure out where we could just sit on a on – a, we didn't know where he was. You know, We wanted to wait for him to come home or leave for work. And so we thought, where can we sit and watch? It's a rural road. There was a, a little farmhouse across the street, so I knocked on the door. And the person there said, um, you know, you can park here. I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but, yeah, you can park in my driveway. We told her we were looking for someone who might be passing by. Um, so she had no idea we were watching her neighbor across the street, but she gave us permission to park in her right. driveway. And what you said was true. You were looking, we were for, looking someone for someone who so, would be passing by. So producer Pete parks across the way, and this became key because uh, he sees – we're part, uh, a photographer, Kale Zimney, and I are parked down the road, and he sees uh, producer Pete – Sees the guy come outside walking his dog, and he says, he's outside. Now's the time. Go talk to him. So we pull into the driveway and uh, and get out of the car with the camera and everything, and I go and I try to talk to, to Gary, and Gary doesn't want to talk to me. He's not happy to see me, and he tells me to go away and get off his property, and he walks inside his house, and he shuts the door. So you think that's the end of it? Oftentimes it is. Right. But it happened so fast, and he had so much to say that I thought, this is a guy who's going to come back out. So I told Kale, I said, we have to get off his property. He said, get off his property. So we backed out onto the road and we sat there. And my instincts happened to be right this time because 30 seconds later, Gary comes back out of his house. Only this time, it wasn't just Gary. Well, it was just Gary, but he wasn't empty handed. So Gary comes out of the house and Kale is sitting next to me in the passenger seat. And I hear him say, holy, you you can imagine what he said. I think he's got a gun. And sure enough, I look up and I can see Gary Jones is carrying a gun in his right mm-hmm. hand. Kale tells this story in a very animated fashion. <laughs> uh, it was frightening. It was yeah, terrifying. Probably. Um, were you really frightened in that moment? Or well, I, I was, and I, I could tell Kale was. And this is where I still look back with sort of guilt uh, in how I responded next because there's that part of me, the aggressive journalist who wants the story and wants everyone to know, this guy just came after me with a gun. And granted, he's on his own property, but it was it was – intended as an intimidation. We're not on his property anymore. He's angry at us, and he comes out with a gun in his hand. And I could see, best of my recollection, this has been more than a year ago now, 
but I saw the barrel of a gun pointing right at me. That should have struck terror into me. Instead, I wanted to get out there and show this is what this guy is doing. And so, I have a lot of respect for you, but what you did next was real dumb. <laughs> I, well, I've been told that by everyone, including the sheriff's deputy who responded. Um, I got out of the car. And Kale stayed in the car wisely. I got out and I began yelling across to Gary, is that a gun in your hand, Gary? And uh, and Kale is frozen because he's afraid. I don't want to agitate this guy by pointing the camera at him. So he stayed put and that was probably the smartest thing to do. Fortunately, producer Pete was across the road and he had full view of Gary coming outside with a gun in his hand. What happened from that angle though is that Gary stepped behind a bush And when he did, you can't see where the gun is pointing. So you see him walk out with it, and it became disputable as to whether or not he had actually raised it and aimed it at me. Had he, that would have been which and that legally matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, they viewed it as he's on his own property. He has a right to have that gun. He wasn't a felon or anything like that. And so uh, they had they came, they talked to him, and then you know nothing came of it beyond that, uh, except our news story, which of course that added a little bit of. And I know you've kind of said, I could have handled this differently and I probably should have. Do you have any regret about how you handled that? I know other people who were there. Well, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in news since the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I've been an investigative reporter now for 15 years. And this is the only person who's pulled a gun on me. And so I'm thankful that in all that time it is. However... Um, looking back, uh, yeah, no, I, I think um, I've gotten advice from a few people, like my mom, uh, <laughs> my wife, um, and uh, my news director, and all of you who say maybe you shouldn't get out and yell at a well, guy. Well, and I have a beef to a pick you. with you about this because my parents came to visit shortly after I started working here at Fox 6. We take him through the station. They meet Brian Polson. My mom has long been very concerned about reporter safety. She wants me to wear a bulletproof vest at all times. We've told her that's not going to happen. I was like, Mom, like where I am, it's really safe. It's going to be great. I had just had her convinced of this. And the first story Brian tells her is this story about Gary with the gun. And we can see my mom's eyes getting big. I'm like standing behind her making the cut it out motion. My dad's looking at me and shaking his head. In fairness, the question was, have you ever had any there? What's the craziest thing that's happened to you on a story? And And that's it. But I did tell her it's only happened once. Before we wrap up, I do want to clarify the relationship. Um, of the the therapist with the wife of the man who went missing because that's something that kind of well, came so, into okay, question. Well, so, okay, I'll wrap and this up quickly by saying this. That. Here's the thing. We talk, we keep, and, and this is the shame of it all is we spent so much time talking about what happened with the gun. There was a really incredible story underneath this and actually something that's still unresolved. The man is still missing to this day. We don't know if he's alive or dead. We don't know what happened. What we do know is that Gary Jones had an inappropriate relationship with that man's wife, who he had diagnosed as uh, someone with dissociative identity disorder, multiple personalities. She was a mental health patient. Um, So she was going through a lot at home and in her own personal life. He took advantage of that by having a relationship he should not have. Police have said they have no evidence that Gary Jones or the man's wife did anything to him. They don't know what happened. What they do know is that Gary Jones behaved inappropriately. He lost his license uh, to do therapy in Wisconsin. So that much we know. Wow. 
<laughs> what a yeah. story. And we also know that uh, maybe there are a couple different ways you could respond if someone has a gun. But Maybe you know, just get in the car and maybe, drive away. Maybe get in police. the car yeah. and drive away. Right. We're glad you're okay, and we're glad that you do hold those people accountable. Please remember, if you have a story for the Fox 6 investigators, we do want to hear it. You can call us at 414-586-2777, or you can email us at the investigators, that's T-H-E investigators, at fox6now.com. It's an issue that a lot of people face. A bad neighbor may not sound like a news story right off the bat, but Jenna did a story a little while back about a foul smell coming from a property in Cudahy that was creating quite a bit of contention, shall I mean, we say. This, is, this was one of those that you just get the email and you go, What? Come on. So it started with an email that Jenna got from a man claiming his neighbor was keeping piles of raw meat in his backyard. And this is not like a farmer or anything like that. It's just a guy in a like a suburban type area, right? Raw meat in the backyard, and it was attracting a lot of flies. Yeah, we get a lot of complaints about neighbors, and some of them are very mundane. This one just jumped out at us right away. I was told that this neighbor not only kept a messy yard, but he was leaving raw chicken outside in tubs of water. And as a result of that, uh, there were a lot of flies in the area. So his next door neighbor who contacted me had hung several fly traps outside, which were big. They caught up to 20,000 flies each, and they were nearing 20, capacity. 20,000 flies. I mean, you know, there's flies in the back. You go, all right, you're outside. There's going to be flies in the summertime. But that's a, that's a lot of flies. Every other day or so, he would dump the water out and then put fresh water in there to kind of give like a water blanket over the top of the meat. And what I noticed was uh, there were so many flies uh, swarming the water. It looked like the water was actually boiling just the flies landing and taking off from the water. So how did you move forward with this story? Once you, you got the email, it caught your eye, where, where do you go from there? Well, the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to verify that the situation was as bad as he said. So I went out to the property without a lot of notice, and I went into the backyard with permission, um, and it, it was bad. It, it smelled this really bad. This is the bad. person who complained. Yep, the, the person neighbor. who complained to okay. us. Um, he let me go on his back porch. I saw there were a lot of fly traps there. It smelled really bad. And at that point, a lot of the yard had been cleaned up because of health inspections that had been going on. Um, but clearly, it was not a situation you'd want to be living in as a neighbor. So for us, it was a real quality of life issue. And we wanted to talk a little bit about what can you do as a person in a community if your neighbor is causing issues that affect your quality of life and the quality of life of your kids. Um, this gentleman who contacted me had a seven-year-old daughter who ran into a fly strip. Uh, they got caught in her hair, oh and they boy. had to use a lot of chemicals to get it out. She was crying. She was shaking. They sent us that a video, video of it. was tough to watch. It was really compelling. So it was affecting this man and his kids, and they were just getting fed up because they felt like they were reaching out to health officials and the police, and things were just moving really slowly. Well, and you said you get a lot of complaints, obviously, to contact us, and I'm sure city officials in various communities get a lot of neighbor-to-neighbor complaints. Their trees, you know, the branches mm -hmm. are over in my yard, or their dog barks too much. I have never heard of one like this where it was raw meat being stored in the backyard. Well, and of course you can't capture smell on television, so that's also another tough part of all this to convey. We put a man on the moon, but we still don't have smell-o-vision. Right. Well, we had <laughs> pictures of the meat when it was outside, so we knew that it had existed and it was a problem. And to tackle the smell issue, we really um, thought we would play up the sound of the flies, because when you're there in person, it was just this constant buzzing 
that you could hear. And it was, it was very overwhelming. So we wanted to show the flies, the disgusting fly bags that were just oh, piles and piles of dead flies, really gross. Um, and we just kind of played up the sound of the flies throughout the piece. And I think that worked pretty well in kind of Mm -hmm. conveying what it was like to be there. Um, But like you said, records are obviously very important to us. So we had to request the health inspection records. We knew that reports had been made to the health department and we reached out to the police department as well to find out how many police calls had been made in that area. Um, And there were 15 in about a month and a half, which is a lot. And those were all related calls because of the, they were all related to that property in some way or another. Sometimes they were made by the man who lived at that property, who was complaining about his neighbors as well. Um, but it was really important to us to reach out to that man eventually for this. Well, and that's too. just the whole thing. The whole, in the end, you're just wondering why. Why is there meat in the backyard well, attracting all these flies? And how do you go about... So we do unscheduled interviews. We just talked about a very different kind of unscheduled mm-hmm. interview. I mean, how do you go up to a guy and say hey, your house smells. You know, I really wanted to do it with sensitivity because I knew from the health inspection reports that I read that not only had his yard been messy, but the inside of his house was very messy too. So he'd been ordered to clean up both his house and the outside. Kind of like a hoarder type situation. Right, and I was concerned that I didn't know, and I don't know to this day if he had a mental illness, but that was something I had in the back of my mind is if someone who's living in these conditions... um, is sure. someone I should I should treat with a little more sensitivity. So when we did find him, I approached him and gave him the opportunity for an interview instead of doing what we would call a confrontation, where well, we, I don't give him that opportunity. We have discussions all the time here too. When we're you know people will ask us, well, you know, why did you go after a person that way, or why did you approach them this way? And we're having those discussions before we ever even reach out. What are we looking at here? Mm-hmm. What might we be dealing with, mm-hmm. and and how should we? approach them first. And this was one, like you said, where you kind of knew going in mm-hmm. based on what you'd read, this could be someone who you, they're not, it's not like they're just, a, he's a bad guy. You might be dealing with personal issues that have, you know, created this problem for his And neighbors. he did the interview with you and explained his side of the story so that, you he, know, he wanted to talk to me when I approached him. I explained what the story was. He agreed to do the interview. He agreed to use his name, and we sat and talked about it for a while. And at that point, I talked to him. He had cleaned up some of his yard, and the smell was mostly gone. So he was trying to address the issue, um, and he made some interesting points. You know, he first of all, he claimed that his neighbors could have communicated better with him. They said that they had been contacting him about it, and he wasn't doing anything. I can't prove conversations that aren't documented anywhere. So that's, you know, he said, she said. Um, But he had said uh, his neighbor hung all these fly traps that also smelled. So that made the problem worse. So it's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation. Right, which came first. Exactly. The the fly traps smelled really bad. Or the literal chicken. Exactly. You needed the fly traps because of the flies from the chicken. I don't think the fly traps attracted the meat. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, you know that is one complaints. way to think about it, Brian. Well, we did find all the police records. We requested all the police calls that were made. And he did report some retribution by his neighbors on his property. He said a neighbor had urinated on an abandoned car that was in his backyard and bent the antenna, which I understand the neighbor's mad. There's an abandoned car in your backyard. It's messy. Um, but it sounds like there was some bad behavior on both sides. Uh, but at the end of the story, it was really important to us to give people advice on what to do in those situations, who to contact, um, and, and just how to get the help you need if your neighbor isn't 
you know, taking the action that you think One they should. One of those should. tips was not urinate on your neighbor's property. <laughs> you know, that's a good general rule <laughs> yeah. for life. Try not to pee on your neighbor's don't property. Don't pee on your neighbor's property. Don't get guns involved. I feel like we're learning don't some yell valuable at a guy life. With a gun. Don't yell at a guy with a gun. Um, but what, what are some of the, the main takeaways that people can get? Because you can control what happens on your own property, but you know, you can feel pretty helpless when it's someone else's property. And it's not fun doing these things, but you have to call your alderman, you have to call your local health department, um, and you have to just you can reach to, out to the police as well, and then you have to write down um, every call you made, who you talked to, keep your own notes, and that will help you going forward. But it's going to be a slow process when you're dealing with the government sometimes. it's It takes a while to get health inspectors out there, and then people have a, a certain amount of time to clean things up. Uh, so you you just have to be patient with these situations, which is not easy to do when you're living in a situation like these people were. Well, I feel like that's when people start reaching out to us and especially to Contact 6 is when they've tried those routes and either right. they're not getting any response or the response just isn't happening quickly enough to resolve this well, problem. Mm-hmm. And the stuff with your property and where you live, it's very personal. So, of course, there's the factual part, which is what we have to deal with, and the better documents that people have, the mm-hmm. easier it is for us to do a story. But there's that emotional part that's in it, too, because it is quality of life. They're living with it every day. They can't sit on their back porch in the summer because it smells and because there are flies everywhere. Um, So that's when, hey, it's great to reach out to Contact 6. We'd love to look into those stories for you. And um, if you ever have a complaint, you can always call us. The phone number is 414-586-2666, or you can fill out a form on our website, fox6now.com. Not all of the tips we get lead to stories, but often when you file a complaint with us, or in every case, we always try to find some sort of resolution with the business, and we have people on our staff who are reaching out, making calls, sending emails to try to do stuff off the air as well. I I would say probably the vast majority of tips you get never even end up as news stories. Oh, I'd say 95%. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still doing work behind the scenes on that stuff. Absolutely. And we track trends over time, and sometimes we'll do stories once something's been happening over and over and over again. But there's there's so much to report on. Yeah, this one uh, was a unique situation, though. I think I just heard the dinner bell. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's the dinner bell. I think that's what it is. I'm assuming they're going to put that in in post, Do people right? use dinner bells anymore? I don't know. We do. <laughs> really? We're, yeah. So the dinner bell means No, like it is, here in this oh, podcast. I, Brian's I, I, like, I, 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 I was picturing <laughs> Brian ringing a bell for his yeah, children. Yeah, that's what Vel bell makes the Chinese run on Thursdays. <laughs> Kids. Um, but no, so it's Your time for the dinner bell. Our, these are what? when we do our dinner party questions. And this is a weekly segment where we're going to answer questions we most often get asked at parties or events when people find out we work in TV news. I get invited to parties? Are you kidding? <laughs> Every, this is what Amanda and I get asked. And I'll invite None you, of us Brian. are going to parties anymore. There are kids that's at home. That's true. I know. Things, yeah. Well, hey, I'm going to parties now because in a few months, that's uh, when, when baby gets here, that's not really going to, uh, but you're drinking ice water. to work. So while I am drinking ice, I am the designated driver. Okay, so there's a catch to all of this. We have no idea what this question is going to be, and it's fitting because we put people on the spot all the time. Now it's time for us to be put on the spot as well. So we have a lot of envelopes in front of us. We're going to pick one at random, and we all have to answer. I'm going to hold them, and you guys get to pick. These are the envelopes. Jenna, I say you pick. Jenna's picking. Pick one. Okay, do we all answer the same question? Yes, we all answer the same question. Okay. You say envelope, you say envelope. I feel like you could say either way. I always open envelopes like a bear. 
Like a bear. Like a bear. (laughs) That was a very specific description. Okay. What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on air? Oh, wow. I have to think about this for a minute. Do you guys have one like ready at the ready? One you can. I have one. Um, probably because it happened to me early on, so it sticks out in my mind. Okay. Um, I had this job as an on-air intern for a TV station in Madison, so I was very green, and I was learning how to even speak on air just to introduce my story and tag it out, which is the end of the story. Um, and I had just introduced my story. They went to the package, which is the taped and edited version of our story, and they came out to me on camera when I wasn't supposed to be, and... I did one of those um, overwhelmed arms oh, in the no. air, deer in the headlights looked where I kind of looked around the room really scared and then looked back at the camera and then they just cut right back into the story. So it was like 10 seconds of me standing there going, "What? I don't know what to do. I'm only 22 years old. But you were an intern at least, right? This yeah. didn't happen last week. That no, it was, I was 22 and it, it probably sticks out in my mind because I was, it was my first And it probably thing. felt like the end of the world, right? Well, everybody laughed. <laughs> <laughs> made it so much worse. Sometimes that can make it better. Yeah, but I mean, laughing with you, not you. at you. It's not yeah. the most. Ex- I guess there's much more embarrassing things that could happen to you, but that one, that one sticks out as my about first. You, Amanda? So I'm debating whether I go with a specific event or like an ongoing thing. You have an ongoing embarrassment. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm trying to think of a language appropriate way I can describe this for our podcast because. I suffer from RBF. My natural RBF. expression, I feel like I'm making a neutral face mm-hmm. and I'm actually frowning. When I am making a neutral face, I feel like I'm smiling. So um, I would say the first... The first, like, year I was on camera, you know, it would be a perfectly normal, fine story, and you come out to Amanda St. Hilaire, and there's just, like, a scowl on my face. Did um, you hear from people who would ask, like, why is Amanda so So it angry? was actually once I started where I, I had a change in shift. So my first job was in Toledo, Ohio, um, and I was working out of a bureau at first. And when I started working mornings, I was working with um, a really great photographer who – had my back and after a little while of doing that he was like I need to show you what you look like when we come right out to you and so he showed me and I was just mortified um so that was like the ongoing thing I mean one of my first live hits I was 21 when I started working in this business I was doing a a live report and my um earpiece got caught I was doing this creative like getting out of the car kind of thing and it pulled me back and I fell um, on but my I mean, bottom, how many people on live TV. How many people yeah. don't have a real, realistic baby face? <laughs> realistic so. baby face. Yes, that was my ongoing problem, was realistic baby face. <laughs> when I have my child, people will mix us up because, because we'll of have your realistic very baby similar face. facial expressions. So, um, Brian, you've been doing this the longest. You must have a good story. So, so right, can, I, can I include something that almost happened on the air? Yes. It's still embarrassing, but it didn't quite make air, and that's what makes it so, I guess it's more of a relief. We did um, say we're going behind the scenes. Well, so I was in Des Moines, Iowa, worked there from 1998 to 2000. And there was a, somewhere in that time, there was a major outbreak of hepatitis A in the local schools, in the Des Moines public schools. And uh, so we had done a number of stories on this. And there was one day where 
I think the schools had been, I don't know if they'd been closed because there were so many kids that had hepatitis A and the school just hadn't communicated this to parents. So they kept sending their kids to school and more of them were coming down with hepatitis. That's and a uh, hepatitis A is not like C, it's not like the one that, you know, can be life threatening, but it's still, I mean, you don't want your kid having hep A or hep of any letter really. So uh, the key to preventing the spread of hepatitis A, as you can imagine, is washing your hands. And so I was doing a story about all the angry parents. And of course, at the end of my story, I was going to be giving the tip that the health department says you need to wash your hands. As I was waiting, as you you well know, sometimes you're doing multiple live shots and I was live at five, I was live at six. In between the two, I realized I had to go to the bathroom. Oh no. And so I excused myself and I went to the bathroom. And I came back, and there we had photographers who were also the engineers who ran the live truck. And um, I had been live at 5, so we were up and sending a signal back to the station. And I didn't think about the fact that I was still wearing a microphone. And I oh, came no. back to the live truck just kind of waltzing back, and the photographer had sort of that look on his face where he's kind of looking down at the ground but had a <laughs> grin. And I came up, and his name was Ricky, and Ricky said he's just kind of – kind of chuckling when I said, what? And he said, it's a good thing you wash your hands. <laughs> so we want to thank the people behind the scenes who help us make this happen. Producer Pete, of course, Dave Machuda, our amazing editor and executive producer, Leanne Watson. Um, and if you want more open record, you want to hear more about what we're all about, you can head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.